The Academy of Esports podcast is brought to you by League Spot. League Spot, your brand, your league, your way. Welcome to the Academy of Esports with James O'Hagan. He's on fire. Boom shakalaka. Welcome to the Academy of Esports podcast. I am your host, James O'Hagan. The Academy of Esports podcast is powered by League Spot. League Spot, your brand, your league, your way. And this week, I have the pleasure of welcoming back to the podcast, Dr. Seth Jenny. Dr. Jenny, thank you so much for being back on the Academy of Esports podcast today. Thanks for the invitation. I appreciate it, Jim. Well, it's been several years since we last talked, though you are still the assistant professor in the Department of Exercise Science and Athletic Training. Oh, you're making fun of me. I'm still an assistant professor. Okay. (laughs) It was never that was never meant to be a slight on you. But (laughs) I just submitted the the paperwork to try to be an associate professor. So hopefully I'll come back with good news in this in the spring. (laughs) Well, that's that's you know, it's important that I think we talk about in the conversation today, particularly about the last time we spoke and where we're at now, not just your research in the exercise science parts, because there has been a tremendous amount of research that has been conducted, I think, now given the the importance that gaming and esports have had around the, the exercise science around it, but especially around the neuroscience that we are finding in it and how they're all connected together. Um, and we're also going to be talking today about your work with the Esports Research Network and a book that you're writing. And all these are amazing things. But before we get into that, before we dive too much into, you know, the research that you have conducted in video gaming and esports since 2011 and the being Slippery Rock University's esports club faculty advisor and being a founder of the or one of the founders, I should say, of the um, International Journal of Esports and a board member for the Esports Research Network. We want to get you some simple questions. We want to warm you up a little bit. We want to make sure that the audience knows who you are and who we're talking to. So, Dr. Seth, <clears throat> first question that we like to ask our guests here on the Academy of Esports podcast, what is that game, and it doesn't have to be a video game, that stands out as having been important to you at some point in your life, and why was it a meaningful experience? Well, um, I would say playing NHL hockey the first time with the, the new version of it where you could check uh the players and they would fall down and blood would come out of the side of their head <laughs> we're talking which I think that's that any, 90, 94 that right? 94 okay yeah i think no. it was nhl 94 no i mean so yeah that that's a fond um, video game memory of mine but um really the game or, or if we want to say a sport would be running cross country um i started running in in ninth grade uh, and, um, I ran, uh, at Slippery Rock University where I teach, um, throughout my undergrad and I continue to run and, and that's something that, um, just the sport has taught me so many things from perseverance to dedication to long-term goal setting and, and delayed gratification. Um, and now I try to, to give back by coaching myself. Um, I, I try to, to have a humanistic philosophy where, I um, work on promoting and developing um, the children that I coach as people, not just as athletes. And and I care about um, their holistic development, not just wins and losses 
And uh, today when I exercise, um, a lot of times I'm going through my head and working through things I'm working on, writing, teaching, um, those types of things where it just gives me uh, time to, to think and to work through some of the, the projects and problems that are going on. So, um, yeah, it's it's been an important part of my life. It's lucky for you that you can do that, because whenever I've had to run in the past, I'm always like, when the heck is this over? (laughs) (laughs) Well, then you got to move to biking, swimming. They find that sport that works for you. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But here's the interesting thing, uh, Dr. Jenny, is that uh, when when we're talking about our upbringings, again, we didn't get the the luxury of or the opportunity to grow up where gaming and esports was built into high school culture. It was not built as, as I guess you could say, socially acceptable very soon. And I think we're starting to see it now as some of these. I've been involved in high school scholastic esports since 2014. Seeing kids now who they're they're whether it's starting in middle school or starting in high school, their primary not saying that's their only thing, but like I was in musicals and plays and I did yearbook club and newspaper and you know we're going to see kids who just I I my my high school social outlet was gaming and I think we're going to I think it's important that we make sure that the messaging that you kind of just talked about with regards to running and when I talk about you know physical activity and the physical sciences that those things are embedded into this because we obviously again we don't want to continue to perpetuate the negative stereotypes around sedentary lifestyles and gaming and being a successful competitive gamer in that regard. Yeah. And you know, a lot of that is, um, whoever is managing the program, um, whether it be, you know, what do you want to call them a director or coach or whatnot? Um, it's, it's what's their philosophy and what, what is the point of the program? Is, Mm -hmm. is it competition? Is that the focus? Is it, extracurricular is it um to try to motivate uh students to uh, learn about um stem is is it to um, teach transferable skills such as teamwork communication and so when you have a firm philosophy of what is the overarching goal of the program then it helps with decision making it gives you a framework of when certain situations arise you you know well if our point of our program is you know um to develop people maybe it is um to to learn certain skills then you can make those decisions with that in mind and it helps um yeah point you in the right direction so um having those established ideas ahead of time um, not just going into things blindly really assists with that and uh yeah totally agree um it, it's interesting to to see how different extracurriculars can help people connect with other people. Um, and, and it gives them a motivation to, to come to school. It gives them motivation to, to do well in their grade, uh, you know, on their grades and their assignments and whatnot. And, um, yeah, esports is just another one of those areas that can be utilized to, to, for, for the positive things. And, and like you said, it's not always, it's not, necessarily a negative thing to to be playing video games anything that's done excessively to the detriment of you know daily living then yeah it's probably a problem but if it's done um within moderation um it, it can be a great thing 
And now, uh, sorry, we, we don't. We'll, we're going to get into, I'm sure, a lot more of this in depth. But we we still got to get to know you a little bit. But uh, <laughs> all right, qu- second question. Maybe it's totally eccentric or quite traditional. But what is your superpower? That thing that you do better than most people, or what do you wish you could do? Um. Well, the the wish is. Um and my wife sort of has this is a photographic memory. I, I definitely wish that I, I had that. I'm, I'm something I need to write it down. You know what, what Einstein said, I don't need to remember anything if, if um, I can just look it up. Um, uh, I think some of the strengths of mine, superpowers, um, I think I'm high, I'm type A. So I'm, you know, things that come along with that. I think I'm organized. I think I'm able to be resourceful and, and honest with people. If I don't know the answers, um, I think I am resourceful to, to be able to, to find answers when I need them. Um, yeah. So those are some of the things that I, I try to develop and work on. I would love the photographic memory. I mean, all the research that we've been reading, wouldn't it be great to just go, oh, that's from here and here and it's on this page and highlighted yep. in your brain. Yeah. Yep. Uh, that third third question. And, and, this, and, th- and all those chores uh, my wife tells me to do. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't get in trouble too. All right, third question. And this usually is very telling about people. Uh, what's that one song, whenever it hits your speakers, you're going to sing along to? Uh, it's a go-to karaoke song, um, "Sweet Caroline," Neil Diamond. I would have to say that Classic. is a yeah, that is a great get in the car, and it comes on, and you, hopefully it's a summer day. Not I live in Wisconsin, and of course the it's twenty degrees outside, but we're not going to roll down the windows today. But yes, that is a fantastic classic, and of course the Boston Red Sox uh, have that as a regular song wow. in their stands. Yeah, uh, all right. And uh, what is that one? Th- okay, now getting into some of the meat of the work uh, that you are currently doing. That one thing in your field, our field, I should say, that surprises people when they first hear about it. Uh, a couple things. Uh, first one would be the amount of time it takes to conduct research and to publish a peer-reviewed journal article. I think um, if you've never gone through that um, of collecting research data, uh, analyzing it, um, writing it up, trying to get it uh, pu- submitted to a journal and formatting it to the journal specifications, getting it through peer review. Um, I mean, it. I've had multiple papers, projects that are two, two and a half years long, it, mm-hmm. you know, for one paper. Um, and so that's one thing. I think another thing that people that's surprising is um, – the amount of if you're in higher ed as a professor too, get a lot of people that um, uh, want free consulting, which is which is okay, but you know is it though? Uh, <laughs> well, and, and and it's just built into the system where you know it's sort of disguised as quote unquote service to the profession, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and even like peer uh, peer reviewing, so me reviewing other people's. Uh, journal articles before they are um, published uh, all of that is done um, pro bono free mm-hmm. uh, doing editing work all that's uh, is done free and and so the system is a little bit crazy in the sense that um, while certain journals get money from libraries and individuals purchasing journal articles the people who actually do the work such as the researchers and the peer reviewers and the editors 
they do not get paid. Yeah. And I, I've seen too, uh, let me ask you this about research. I mean, obviously there's been a change in the world of research and maybe this kind of starts to lead into to one of our first questions about how do you continue to stay informed about the current uh, research that's going on in esports and gaming. But I seem to think that there's a lot of so much exciting data that people are getting right now that they're very quick to want to get it out there without going through the peer review process. Uh, <laughs> yep. How how important is that? Pro I asked this similar question to Dr. Cohort in our last episode. For those of you oh, who yeah. would like to call back, uh, yeah. and maybe I'll inter maybe I'll splice it and put it in here as like a you know. Sure. Yeah. I mean, she she she's very well known and um, great researcher. But how do you feel about? Oh yeah, but how do you feel about getting? Uh, again, there, there you've got to have that for academic integrity because I think one of the issues that we have right now in the field is around the integrity and efficacy of the work that we are doing in research, and that in the past it had there hadn't been a lot of great research, I guess you could say, and now we're finally getting our feet underneath us. How important is it to to again make sure that that work is peer reviewed before publishing? Yeah, that's a multi-layered question. So I'm gonna I'll, I'm gonna give you a few um, layers to it. The first thing is is that I don't know how many times, and we've been even uh, mentioning this within the esports research network, where people are wanting to collect um, research data and they are not reporting anything that the proposed study has gone through an institutional review board panel to make sure that the way that the data is collected is ethical, the way that the data is handled once it's been collected. I mean, if people are, uh, I just saw one that was about LGBTQ plus um, survey questionnaires where you get sensitive questions for people and how is that going, how is that data going to be analyzed and who has access to that data? All of that information is, is part of the institutional review board application that should be approved by a committee. And mm -hmm. so there's a fair number of people that are, are collecting, trying to, to do research projects without going through IRB. That's one, one problem. Second um, issue with eSports research is uh, so many people, and I think the pandemic certainly added fuel to the fire, the, most of the research is just survey-based and it's just self-report information. Uh, and, you know, the quality of that research uh, you know, it's definitely needed because mm -hmm. you can get large samples of people and large response rates whenever you're doing survey research, but you can only do correlational research and you cannot do cause and effect experimental controlled types of research when you're doing that. And so that's one area where we really need to increase is the amount of controlled experimental research studies relating to esports and, um, yeah, so that that those are a couple things uh, to to answer your question about the peer review process. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, yes, so if people just submit their work to journals and it doesn't go through peer review, the quality of that product can not necessarily be very high because when you submit an article to a journal. They, the editor should look at it and first see whether it's appropriate for the scope of the journal. Mm -hmm. Then they will send 
uh, a request to experts on the topic of your paper. And so we're not just talking about the level of an expert in esports, but it would be an expert in esports marketing or an expert in esports um, player injuries or very specific to the topic of the paper. And usually it goes through a blind peer reviewed process, meaning that the people who review it don't know who was the author and the right. author doesn't know who the uh, reviewers were. And they'll get usually at least two reviews. And I know you know this, but I'm explaining it for the listeners. Sure. No, <laughs> and this is important. It, it truly is because even the part about the institutional review boards, I know going through my PhD work, just how important, I mean, that, and and we've seen, you know, the, the, the thing that people always bring up when they talk about that as, as the main, one of the main uh, points was the, um, uh, what was done to folks it, from the Tuskegee, uh, the yeah. Tuskegee uh, research where they were syphilis. knowing, yeah, they were knowingly giving people syphilis to study the effects. Yep. Uh, and how it manifested in African-Americans, which is ridiculous. And which has, which has resulted in generational, not just trauma, but distrust of doctors and science in a lot of communities, uh, particularly, like you said, African-Americans in the South. So this the, the process, while you may say, oh, but I'm just asking some simple questions, as you brought up LGBTQ questions that that data is so sensitive. And if you it, some of the questions, even if you don't take a trauma informed approach to them could be triggering and harming to the people who are being asked those questions if they are not prepared to realize that that's what they could be potentially be asked about in a yeah, lot of ways. And the part of the IRB committee looks to see, are you asking questions that don't relate to your main research questions? And if they're unneeded and they're sensitive questions, well, there's no need to even ask them. You know, mm -hmm. So it, it should all hinge back on what's your main uh, purpose of the study and, and the research questions. But um, yeah, to finish the, relating to the peer review, so then after it's blind peer reviewed, it gets sent back to the editor. The editor makes determinations based upon the reviews, and usually it can be um, accept, which usually will never happen off the bat. Uh, minor revisions, major revisions, or reject are the main categories of um, options that a reviewer will make a recommendation to the editor. And then based upon the two reviews, minimum of two reviews, they will send it back to the author the, um, if it's not completely rejected. And if it's major or minor revisions, the author will then have to go through all the comments made by both reviewers and the editor and address those. And if mm -hmm. they agree with those revisions, they make the revisions and tell where in the manuscript and what they did and what were the additional citations and references they used to, to make those corrections and revisions. If they don't agree with the comments by the reviewers, then they would also have to say why they don't agree. And so that whole process goes back and forth. And I mean, I've had papers where they've got that that has happened, maybe four rounds of revisions mm -hmm. where to satisfy reviews. And that just helps with the, the quality of, of it. Now, certainly there's people who are not good at reviewing. There's, um, you know, somebody, so one reviewer will say one thing and mm -hmm. another reviewer will say the complete opposite. And so, you know, there's holes to the process, but overall it works pretty well other than not paying the reviewers. 
Well, outside of outside of not getting paid, again, you you are part of uh, I think again an important organization, an important group. Uh, the international. Oh gosh, I, I I have it written here. I just want to make sure I get it right because I don't want to have people going to the wrong. There's so many. There's so many. Oh my cats, of course, are fighting. Yeah, I see them. Yeah. yeah, nice. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, it's very. It, I want to make sure I get the name right of the journal because it's kind of like the People's Front of Judea and the Judean People's Front. You will find that there are, uh, you know, the the different journal names. International Journal of Esports. Um, how has how did that come about, and is that where you're finding right now where you're getting as being a member of that organization? Uh, is that where you're getting most of your uh, what what you're reading, what you're learning about, or are there are you finding it from other places, other sources? Yeah, so um, definitely, yeah, I've had a few different uh, papers um, published in there. Aaron Kashi uh, from the United Kingdom um, started that journal. He's the the chief editor, and uh, that journal is open access, which means that. You do not have to pay for the articles. Um, you can go to the website and you can read the full text of the of the articles, which is great. Um, it's also more; it lends itself a little bit more toward industry practitioner based um, mm -hmm. articles, um, not as um, reference uh, uh, heavy. Some of those papers. Um, so definitely, there's a lot of, of good papers in there. I'm also one of the associate editors of the um, journal. Of electronic gaming and esports, um, if you know the book publishing company Human Kinetics, uh, they it is their first esports journal, um, and the chief editor of, of that uh, journal is David Headland um, from St. John's University, and he, um, yeah, that 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 journal that we've only had about maybe four articles published in there right now. Mm -hmm. Um, and that journal is starting to pick up traction with our number of submissions. And so, yeah, both of those two journals, uh, I get a lot of information from, but even I get a lot of information from other journals who get an esports related paper and they send it to me as a peer reviewer. And so, yes, while I'm putting in work to review it, I'm gaining a lot of information. I'm seeing the cutting edge research before it's even being published which is a really benefit to me and my research, but also to the, I, I teach undergraduate esports courses at Slippery Rock University mm. in the Department of Exercise Science and Athletic Training. And so um, my students benefit from me, the knowledge that I get through that peer review process. Uh, but I, you know, I, I stay on top of things um, through Twitter, you know, some of it's accurate information, some of it's not, you sort of have to, to tease that out. The Ooh, there's ring. some parody accounts popping up <laughs> right and left. Real quick, do you know we yeah. found we found a we found an alternate Wisconsin High School Esports Association account the other day. I why anybody would duplicate that? <laughs> our logoing everything. Somebody they're, did. they're posting naked pictures of James O'Hagan. No, <laughs> that is absolutely not happening. Nothing like that exists anywhere. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, the Esports Research Network is another uh, group where I connect with. Um, we have a Discord channel. It is one of the uh, best Discords. I will. I hate Discord. Highly active. Yeah. It's, the, but it's that great. one I have on alert. That one, when something happens in that Discord, I get a message. Um, and another group that I'm a part of is called the Dell Technologies Esports Research Collaborative. Uh, a, a Dell Technologies. Um, uh, employee uh, Danielle Rourke 
Um, she is in charge of that, and we meet on a monthly basis. And it's mostly higher ed um, researchers uh, in esports uh, meet there. And, and so, yeah, we, we exchange a lot of information and ideas. And um, yeah, so, and then lastly, Google, I, Google Scholar. I get a lot of alerts and, and whatnot with some of the recent um, papers that are being published, too. Those are my big outlets. Well, I guess lastly, I don't want to forget um, learning from my students too. That in yeah. my classes, um, definitely, I don't, you know, I don't believe education is a one-way. Me shoving information down students' um, throats, it's 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 a two-way communication, and I'm learning from them as well. Particularly in this field where there's so much to learn, and um, like you said, we didn't grow up with it as as much as as this generation is. So. They have a lot of knowledge, and, and you definitely want to be receptive of it. Um, yeah. I, I To speak to that point, too, I, I'm mentoring a student right now who's a senior uh, in high school for his AP research search class uh, around, and he's doing his research in gaming. And for those of you who may be an educator who says, how do I you know get into this kind of thing, I will tell you that... Uh, helping guide a student who, again, is intrinsically motivated on the topic and saying, here's some things you should read and, and letting them kind of go and run with that and see where they take it. Uh, I'm very Andrew was actually a former guest on the show, Andrew Chish. He's going to be uh, he invited me to his gallery walk, which is going to be in a couple of weeks here to talk about where he is currently in his work. Uh, it's been really nice to to work with a student in that regard, because again, as we just said, these kids are seeing things in ways that even as even as adults, PhDs, we're not necessarily seeing things to the level that they are because they're living it every day and they're asking their own questions and trying to figure out what all these things mean for them. Yeah, for sure. And, and, and they can come up with a lot of solutions to things that we wouldn't think about as well, because, um, of their experiences. So yeah, it's great. Well, and you touched on the esports research network and I, and again, I want to really dig into uh, what is happening because you have a, a major conference coming up. It in uh, was it starts November 21st, I believe in yeah, DreamHack Sweden. <laughs> yeah. It's across Thanksgiving. So there's, uh, well, there's it's not, it's not Thanksgiving in Sweden. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I voiced my concerns, but um, there's there's over 150 different presenters, and I think um, it, only a handful are from the U.S. because it is the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday directly before Thanksgiving. Um, but uh, yeah, it's in Jenköping, Sweden. Uh, last year was the first annual esports research network conference, um, which was in supposed to be in Paris. Uh, but it went online and, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, we had, uh, uh, let me give you some stats relating to that. I was looking that up. Um, Nico Besselmes, um, from, uh, university of Paris was, was the, uh, big organizer of that conference. Uh, and we had 104 authors or speakers. There were 638 people that registered for that conference. Um, and across, uh, we streamed it all. There was 15 hours of, of broadcasting, um, and we had 2,303 unique viewers 
the max uh, peak viewership was four uh, 474. Wow. Um, the average concurrent viewers was 122 across the 15 hours. And wow. we had a lot of different, um, uh, you know, impressions on Twitter with across that was 267,000. Um, and we got 220 new Twitch followers from it. So we'll, um, we'll be streaming the main keynotes and the symposiums um, on the Esports Research Network Twitch channel. So if you go onto Twitch and just search Esports Research Network, you'll find it. Mm -hmm. um, and we'll link that in the show notes here. Yep. And that will, uh, and remember the time zone difference. However, that's um, Central European time zone. I want to say Sweden is seven hours ahead of where I am in the United States, but I'm I'm used to listening to Irish radio. Uh, it's six hours <laughs> ahead. So when they're getting their afternoon shows, I'm waking up and it's yeah, I get to experience things in a totally different way. So, yes, uh, be sure to check the times time changes. Uh, those of you in California and Hawaii, you know, I'm thinking of like Sky out in Hawaii. Hopefully he's not having to get up at 2 a.m. to to watch any of this. Um, he might be are, coming, actually. I have to look at who's coming. You know, it wouldn't surprise me if Sky were to make it to Sweden. I would have loved to have gone to Sweden, uh, but I will be here in the States. All right. Next next uh, question. And, and it kind of relates to, again, the work in the Esports Research Network. Again, if you're not a member of the Discord and you're, you're, and it's, you're curious about research, I'm more of a lurker right now. Uh, but... I always see what pops up in there because I am curious. Well, I, you have your own curiosities, but what is what are you most curious about researching at this time? I find that the Discord itself kind of piques new curiosities, new ideas, new ways of thinking. What is driving your your thinking of, of about research at this moment? Well, yeah, as I said, I teach in the exercise science uh, department at Slippery Rock, so. Um, Really, I'm I'm interested in the health and wellness implications of playing esports, um, and really, uh, I did a study uh, recently with Joanne Donahue from New York Institute of Technology, and we were um, researching the impact of uh, either a two-hour ex extended gaming session. Uh, the second condition was a six-minute walk break in the middle of the two-hour gaming session. Mm -hmm. And then the third condition was a six-minute complete rest in the supine lay laying on her back position. And we were looking at changes in executive functioning. So um, the participants in those three conditions, pre- and post-gaming, um, did executive uh, decision-making types of um, cognition tests, computer-based. Okay. But we also tracked um, some of their uh, gaming metrics, uh, such as their wins and losses and uh, kills and deaths with first-person shooter gamers. And, and so um, that type of research is I'm really interested uh, now to, to look at um, because the gaming was in more of an open environment and we weren't able to control who the players were playing with time mm. um you know what map they're on and i'm looking at to replicate a similar study looking at the impact of a longer duration of exercise programming on um the esports performance um i can put send the link to to that study if people are interested in seeing the results of that i know that uh some of the things i've played around with even if i'm sitting in this gaming chair which is very rigid in a lot of ways uh 
speaking to about kind of what you relayed, you know, I believe bodies in motion or brains in motion. So as we're sitting here in this, you know, these very stationary ways, uh, I have thought that maybe there's something around the gaming chairs themselves or maybe even a hindrance to performance in a lot of ways where uh, if we're going to talk about students in the classroom having uh, chairs that are able to move with their bodies more uh, to allow freedom of movement. Uh, the research like that sounds very interesting to me of what you're talking about, because, again, it's promoting the idea that movement, even though you're playing a game for a period, the hypothesis, I would imagine, is somewhere along the lines of you know, some some kind of movement or activity is going to make you a better gamer in the long run. Again, as a hypothesis. Yeah, there, I mean, yeah, there's there's significant research to show that uh, particularly cardiovascular exercise improves cognition and, and decision making. Uh, and so, I mean, a quick rundown is, yes, the, the walking condition um, showed a significant increase in um, executive functioning in the, those players. Um, we did not find a statistically significant difference in the wins and losses or the KD ratios, the kill death ratios with the FPS players. But mm -hmm. again, we didn't, there were a lot of extraneous variables of the gameplay that we couldn't control for, for that situation. But we could say that at least they didn't necessarily statistically get worse in their gaming performance from the, the metrics that we collected. Um, as far as the, yeah, the, the chairs go a lot, what a lot of people will say is that the gaming chairs are just for looks and really, um, people should be trying to buy those high-end office chairs that they probably would be do better off um, than buying a gaming chair. Um, but it, I think it's more about getting up and, and moving um, more often than the actual chair that you're in. Because if you're in a static position too long, no matter what chair you have, you're going to um, run into to those types of um, ergonomic problems. Um, yeah. Did you see the uh, McDonald's gaming chair? <laughs> yeah, oh it holds gosh. it holds the fries and it keeps your nuggets warm or something. I don't know. It was it, I saw. So for those of you who haven't seen it, I'm talking I'll, about I'll, chicken nuggets, though. Yeah, I'll, I'll put a, I'll put a I'll put a link again into the show notes. But the McDonald's and I forgot who the, the furniture company was decided that uh, they were going to design a gaming chair that would hold your fries, hold your McDonald's cup holder. I'm like, man, we're just going to keep laying on these stereotypes, aren't we? That gamers are just lazy people, that they just want their fast food. And again, as you know, Dr. Seth, I, I was at the uh, League Championship Series finals in North America at the United Center. Nice. Uh, you know, and Dr. Lindsay, she's there working with uh, her oh, yeah, team, yeah. Yeah. Th th those gamers, th it is they they weren't munching on fries. They no. weren't, you know, eating. Not with Lindsay, I'm sure. No, but <laughs> any of them, the the top companies, the the top yeah. gamers are not doing those things, and it's, I I guess it's funny in some ways, but I also kind of bristle that we're still taking this approach with some gamers that to to feed the stereotype, if you will. Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's just marketing trying to, to sell something. I don't know if people would actually buy that because they're wanting to eat McDonald's <laughs> while they're gaming. Or it's just, hey, guys, look at that chair I just bought over in the, you know, I think that's more the the reason somebody buy that. Um, yeah, Some that, people that's... have too much money, <laughs> too, yes. too much, too much money. Yeah. And, and you know, even if you're thinking about like a, a st like for 
my office at at work, I'm at home right now. Um, I have a standing desk where it's electronic, where a few hours or you know a certain amount of time I will be sitting, and then I put it in the upright position, stand up. Now, when you're gaming, though, you want it from the performance standpoint, you want everything to be lined up exactly so that you can be accurate and mm-hmm. the timing matters and everything else. The same with, you know, shooting and archery and everything else. I mean, it's, it's very repetitive. And so, um, the fact that you would have less bracing points, um, where maybe your elbow's not on the armrest or on the desk or things change in the standing position versus the seated position then you run into those performance issues but if if you're just recreational playing or you're working yeah having the ability to make adjustments to your chair to make adjustments to your seat height um, making sure the ergonomics in your setup is is appropriate um, and you're not you know you're looking ahead and not looking straight down at the monitor those types of things can help um, with it and you're already a, a published author, uh, not just in research, but also in books. You have your book, Technology for Physical Educators, Health Educators, and Coaches. But you're also working on another book now. And it, it's not necessarily the Dr. Seth Jenny book 2.0. Not at it's, all. The, what, let's talk about the new book that you're working on, because I think that there's people in the community saying, well, how do I get myself involved in this? And you have actually a way that people can be considered to be contributors to this new book yeah so um i uh was approached by um a major global book publishing company um about uh setting forth a proposal for the handbook of esports and so when you look at the books that are out there right now it is very specific there is you know a a guidebook on esports health and injuries there's a lot of business related books there's some um, collegiate esports books, so the very narrow um, focus, which is fine. Mm-hmm. The purpose of this um, book would be to provide a holistic overview of the esports ecosystem, um, covering it from more of like a thirty thousand foot view rather than a you know a face to face type of view. Um, I'm gonna I'll pull up the the major categories um, here so I can show you, but. Uh, as I'm pulling it up here, yeah, we have a, uh, a Google form survey that um, we would love for if you're interested in being involved in this project um, from a writing standpoint or from a peer review standpoint, uh, we'll have the link to this survey and you can fill it out and take a look at the chapters that we are putting forward. Um, so. This project, I'm the senior editor on, and the other editors are Nico, which I already mentioned from from France, Tom Brock from uh, Manchester, uh, United Kingdom, Amanda Cote from the University of Oregon in the U.S., and then Tobias Schultz, who's one of the the co-founders of the Esports Research Network. Um, The five of us, we've met six times uh, going through what this table of contents would look like Mm -hmm. um, to provide that global overview of esports. And so our major categories, and there's sub, I'm not going to read every single chapter, but I'll give you the major categories. Uh, Introduction to esports that gives it, you know, an overview of Defining esports, spelling esports, his, global history of esports, the ecosystem. I, yeah, I love that you said spelling of esports. Please go well, on. That is in the title of one of the chapters, yes. Um, then we move into esports research. 
and that's definitely lacking where there's not a lot there's some uh gaming um related research methods books but we would have chapters on um esports types of labs and, and research centers that are out there general recommendations when you're conducting esports research and then research methodology specific chapters on qualitative esports research survey research and then experimental intervention research uh, next category would be esports players and so we'd have chapters on performance psychology analytics coaching health and wellness injuries uh, we have a chapter on uh, player support um, from from the parental viewpoint, as well as the the whole player career process from grassroots up to um, the pro becoming a pro. And then the, the next category is uh, business and management, so covering sponsorship, marketing, tourism, uh, tournament and event management, uh, business and finance, human resources. Next category is media and communications. So talking about esports journalism, production, streaming, spectatorship, and fandom. Mm -hmm. uh, and then esports education. So uh, we'd have a, a chapter on higher education as well as um, K through 12 and how these degree programs and these esports education curriculum is being embedded within uh, education and then talking about the competitive side so more of the the competition at the collegiate scene and a separate chapter on the primary and secondary esports competitive scene um almost done here they, there's 50 <laughs> chapters Critic, critical concerns in esports so uh, law and governance, Olympics, fantasy and gambling, esports, cheating and ethics, toxicity, diversity, and inclusion, disabilities and sustainability. Uh, and then um, the last one of the last major sections is global esports cultures. So talking about how esports has um, developed and manifested in Africa and the Middle East, Asia, Europe, Oceania, North America, South America, and we'd have native um authors and researchers from those uh continents those cultures and then the lastly that us five editors would write um a final chapter on what we believe the future of esports would be i would be you know it's funny as you listed off the different continents and areas uh i would also like to just toss in antarctica granted there's research well think about it there's research scientists down there. They have to have something to do, yeah. right? They must be. I, I can't imagine that somebody is not bringing an Xbox or something for them to play. There must yeah. be that. You know what? That would. I'm going to have to figure out. Uh, There's I'll, your dissertation right there. The, the study of gaming <laughs> in an Antarctic, in Antarctic. Re, Antarctic research facility. Yeah. I'll have to go to Antarctica. <laughs> Hope hopefully in their summer because I don't think it would be fun to go in winter. Uh, all right. This was a very heavy conversation, Dr. Seth. Obviously, like I said, the Esports Research Network is is growing. Uh, second conference coming up in Sweden. I know that we're hopefully going to have an event here. As we were pre-talking, the, the next place hasn't been named yet, but it might be coming to the United States. Yes, we're hoping, yep. Yep. As we close and, out and of here. We'll try to do it over some major global holiday so nobody else can come. <laughs> No, I'm just <laughs> <laughs> As we're starting to sign off from this week's any, any final thoughts uh, before we uh, leave the audience today? Um, 
No, I, I just encourage you to uh, take a look at the resources in the video description because I've, I've given uh, you a, a ton to put in there. And uh, mm -hmm. definitely um, don't just listen to this. Take a look and, and, and uh, do your own investigating. And the Discord server, it, again, I, I, I want to make sure that people understand this isn't going to be a place where you can go in and start promoting your you know, your teams. This is if you're going to go look at the Esports Research Network Discord server, it is very important that you realize that is a place where there's serious people doing serious academic work. Yes, it's, you have fun, too, but it's not your general esports server, if you will. So uh, please keep that in mind. Uh, Dr. Seth Jenny of Slippery Rock University and the Esports Research Network. Thank you for being a guest on the Academy of Esports podcast today. I appreciate it. And, and if, if you're listening and you're a researcher or you work in the industry, uh, if you go to the Esports Research Network website, um, we're accepting um, if you want to be a member of the Esports Research Network, uh, PhD students as well. Um, take a look. Yeah, I'm, I, I think I'll always be a PhD student. <laughs> I, I got to get it done. You can do it. <laughs> we're going to get you over the hump there. That will do it for this week on the Academy of Esports. I've been your host, James O'Hagan. Esports are organized competitive video games allowing schools to redefine their athletic culture, diversify opportunities for student participation, promote good physical and mental health, increase collegiate scholarship pathways, and play games. We can never forget the importance of play. The mission of the Academy of Esports is to support these ideals. The vision of the Academy of Esports is for all students to experience the fun and joy of playing competitive video games. You may follow me on Twitter at Jim O'Hagan. That's at J-I-M-O-H-A-G-A-N and through the Academy of Esports account at T-A-O Esports. It's a great way to get the latest blog posts, podcast episodes, and news coming out of esports and education. And remember, you can continue your engagement by going to www.taoesports.com. You can also connect through Facebook at www.facebook.com slash taoesports. Thanks again for listening, and I look forward to our time again next week.